Hey, I'm Kotz. I'm the teaching pastor here. We're in a series called 316, and we're breaking down the, the, the whole verse, John 316, very famous verse. And uh, have you memorized it? Yes, very good. Here we go. John 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The yellow section are the parts that we already talked about for the past few weeks. This week, we're finishing up the verse. Next slide. This part, eternal life. Now, we talked about it a little bit last week, so if you missed it, you could catch last week's sermon. You could go to YouTube or our website, our newly designed website, to check it out. And you're like, cool, so what's next week, Kotz? What's the new sermon series? Nope, no new sermon series. We talked about the verse. Next week, we're going to talk about the context in which, in which we find this verse. So yeah, we're going to drag this house as much as we can, all the way until Palm Sunday. Lori's going to come up here and give a sermon on Palm Sunday, and then Easter. We're going to celebrate Easter, and then we're going to have a new series after that. So you can wait until then for your new series. Okay, so eternal life. First, let me share with you what I thought eternal life was, because this is what, the, this is what I thought it meant. Or maybe somebody taught me this, and it just got lost in there, and it just stuck with me. I thought eternal life was, and especially in this verse, I thought eternal life was basically, hey, you live your life, and when you die, you'll go to heaven, be with Jesus forever. But if you notice, nothing in this verse actually points to that definition, right? As a matter of fact, um, I understand why people might think that, because eternal life, life is living, right? That's what we're doing right now. If you're listening to this now, you're alive. I think, okay, and eternal means forever, so you're like, oh, live forever, but we all die, so there must be a life that happens after we die, hence eternal life. So I understand why we think that, okay, but there's a whole story behind what eternal life is, so let's break it down. Eternal life. Um, some of you Bible nerds are like, hey, I know that John 3.16 is in the New Testament, which is written in Greek, and so I can't wait to find out what the Greek word is. Yeah, there is a Greek word for this. We're not going to go over it. In case you're wondering, the word is zoeen. Like, that's where we get the word zoe from. Zoe means life. And aeon, which means eternal or forever, right? Hence, eternal life. But actually, the term eternal life is a word in the Old Testament. Okay, that's what we're going to study. We're going to look at the Hebrew today. It's an Old Testament word that was transposed over to the New Testament. So every time we see the word eternal life in the New Testament, it's actually pointing back to a few verses in the Old Testament. Uh, like one notable place you'll find is in Daniel chapter 12. There's references to in Genesis 3. Okay, this is nerd stuff. You don't need to know. Okay, so this is what it looks like in Hebrew, okay? And you're like, oh, so I get it now. Okay, so this is pronounced kayim olam, okay? Now, which translates in English to life unto the age, life unto the age. Now, we're going to be focusing on this word right here, Olam, which means age, because I think if we focus on that, you'll get a better understanding of what eternal life really means, okay? Age. Now, what comes to mind when you think of age, other than, you know, growing old? When the Bible, Old Testament script, uh, right, authors use the word olam, or age, it's the same way that we would use the word age when we talk about any stretch of time with a common attribute. Sorry. My bad. Okay, so I'll give you an example. If there was an age in history when everybody was using stones to make tools, we call that the Stone Age, right? It's a common attribute that happens over a stretch, stretch of time. And after that, people started using bronze. And so that was called the 
Bronze Age, not a trick question, very good. Just checking to see if you're awake, right? Okay, and there is the iron people who are making iron stuff, and that's called Iron Age, very good, okay. So and it's not just like tools and equipment, that's not the only time we use the word age. Um, some of you are thinking, oh yeah, there was that time when like rock and roll was the type of music that we all listened to, right? It's the age of rock and roll. And you know, there was the age of good music, of course I'm talking about the 90s. Amen, no? Amen. I got one amen. Okay, thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> right? But it also could be pointing to an age of, of somebody's lifespan. So in the Bible, Hannah, who has a son named Samuel, and she dedicates Samuel to the Lord, saying that this is the age of Samuel, meaning for the lifespan of Samuel, like as long as he's living, this age will be dedicated to you. So sometimes, or like some one biblical author even used the term the age of Abraham. For the time that Abraham was the, 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 you know, the founder of this new faith, age of Abraham. So age is talking about any stretch of time, okay, that has a common attribute. That's, that's all it is, okay? So when we talk about eternal life or the, age, uh, the, the life unto the age, we already think, in, you have to think in terms of, it's not a place we go after we die, it's a certain time. Okay, and you're like, okay, that just makes it more confusing, and I'm glad because we're gonna to try to break it down so we all understand. Okay, before we break it down so we can all understand, I'm gonna give a quick recap of what we talked about last week because it has a lot to do with what we're talking about today. In case you missed last week, this is your chance to just, this is the, the shortened version of it. Okay, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? And that's how the Bible begins. It doesn't start with, in the beginning, God created heaven and hell. Hell is a totally separate thing. The Bible always talks about heaven and hell, uh, heaven and earth, hell is a completely different thing, and we could talk about that in some future sermon, okay? But heaven and earth, at one point, were combined. It was one. Next slide. So here's a little animation by the Bible Project. So at one point, when God created the world, it was actually combined. And in this world, he created, like, Adam and Eve placed them there, and there was, like, trees and rivers, and he even created mountains, right? This was the world that he, he gave us, and this world had many names. One of them being, next slide, is life unto the age. It's the age where everything was a-okay, honky-dory, heaven on earth. The Jews call this shalom. Okay, this is the world that God created. This is eternal life. And we'll go over some of the other words that people use in the Bible to talk about this, okay? Now, why is it called the life unto the age or eternal life? It's because when they were living in here, they were connected to the source of life, okay? They were dwelling with God in this utopia, this paradise. They were connected to the source of life. They were also connected to the source of good. If you notice in Genesis chapter one, God creates the world. He says, it is good, it is good, it is good. He's the one that defines what is good. And so for that reason, the author of good, humanity together, mm, chef's kiss, right? Okay, it's also the source of love. If God is love and Adam and Eve are always with God, this is, so do you get the idea? This is like the perfect world for humanity. This is life unto the age, this season, this stretch of time. But as you guys know, by page three of the Bible, rebellion happens, right? Next slide. So humanity basically says, we don't want any of this. We think we should rule. We should, we should de determine what's good and bad. And so they push God out. And so now heaven and earth are separated. Now that they're separated, Next slide. They call this the age, next slide, age of death. Why is it called the age of death? Because they are now separated 
from the source of life, from the source of good, from the source of life, right? And if you read through the rest of the Bible, you'll see what that looks like. You'll see violence, you'll see mistrust, you see betrayal, you see injustice, you see, and these are things that people have caused, but there are also things that are kind of, you could see that even creation's out of whack, that like people are getting sick, right? Um, the relationship between animals and humans aren't as good as it used to be, right? So there's a lot of things that are happening, and that is called the age of death because they're separated from the source of life. Okay. Now, as the story goes, and I'm going to just skip over the rest of the Old Testament, God promises that there's a fix to this problem, that this world, these worlds will overlap again eventually, right? And this is the part where we skip all the way to the New Testament because the solution that God gives us is Jesus. So next slide. And as it turns out, when Jesus shows up, oh, here we go, that's Jesus right there. Hi, Jesus. Can you, can you see? Okay. And he basically, wherever he goes, he brings heaven on earth. He brings the, the eternal life to whatever, like, so if there's a person who is sick, he heals them because in the ideal world, there's no sickness, right? Wherever God is, oh, you're blind, here you can see again. Why? Because heaven, no one's sick, no one's blind, everybody can see, right? When there is broken relationships, he brings healing to relationships. Why? Because that's what heaven looks like. And people are experiencing that here on earth in the middle of this broken world. Now, we're going to skip to the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. Like I said, this is a very shortened version of the whole thing. Um, next slide. It turns out God's space eventually becomes a city. And as it becomes a city, God says, now is the time for the old broken world to join in this area, and he calls it the new creation. And that's how the Bible ends. So there you go. You don't have to read your Bible anymore. No, just kidding. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Okay. So question, when does this take place? What date? Nobody knows. Not even Jesus knows, right? But there was a word for this, and they called this, the day that this happens sometime in the future, they call this the end of the age. End of the age. The end of the age, at the end of the age, heaven and earth will be united again. So the you know, heaven and earth that's another way of saying it, but that's also saying the olam, like uh, the life unto the age and the age of death will eventually you know, come together and yeah. So that was last week's sermon, okay? And that was actually half of today's sermon, so we're halfway through. Okay, so now we're gonna look at this more in a timeline because this is gonna help us understand eternal life a little bit better. So next slide. So this right white line right here is our timeline. We are living in it right now. And as you know, oh, what you don't see in this timeline is eternal life, which was like probably over here somewhere, right? And so the people who are living in this broken world, the age of death, they're wondering like, when is it gonna happen? When is heaven gonna come on earth again? When is eternal life gonna show up here again? And they're like, well, that's gonna happen at the end of age, so next slide. So we'll put end of age right there. And from that point on, we have the new creation, heaven on earth, okay? Um, eternal life is gonna start right there. So the question is, so how do we know when it actually starts? Like, you know, is there gonna be a big glowing sign in the sky that says, hey, it starts today, you know, welcome to eternal life, right? Is that how it's gonna happen? Well, the Jews understood from reading prophecies in the Old Testament that it doesn't just start with nothing. It actually starts with an event. And that event is, next slide, is, oh, first let me explain to you some of the terms. Okay, so the, the, age, of, uh, the age of death, Sometimes it's called the world in the Bible. These are biblical authors that use these words. Next slide. Um, sometimes they call it the age of sin and death. 
Sometimes they call it, uh, next slide, the present age, which makes sense because they're living in this age. So they're like, this is the present age, right? And then uh, we're, the term we're gonna use is next slide, which is age of death, okay? And when it comes to the future hope that we have, they have different names for that in the Bible also over here. So sometimes they call it heaven. Sometimes the biblical authors call it the age to come, which makes sense because they were writing about it when they were here. So that's the age to come, which makes sense, right? Sometimes, especially Jesus, he calls it kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. And for our purposes today, because we're studying the word eternal life, they call it eternal life or life unto the age. So it's a time, okay? Now, like I said, they thought that you know, the age to come or the life unto the age or heaven or kingdom of God, whatever you want to call it, is not going to just show up on its own. It's going to come with the coming of the Messiah. Next slide. Here he is, right? The Messiah shows up and then it starts. Okay, so what I'm about to share with you from here on out is the perception that the people had in the Old Testament of how things are going to go. It turns out it didn't go like that, okay? So, next slide. What they thought was going to happen is eventually the age of death will disappear and then they're going to have a big celebration with fireworks in the age to come, okay? So that's what they thought was going to happen. Messiah shows up, age, the old age, right, new age, yay. That, that's what they thought it was. And it was extremely simplistic, and as it turns out, that's not what happened. What actually happened, next slide, is this. So that this is the age of death that we're living in right now. Messiah shows up, and the life unto the age is supposed to start, right? That's what they thought was going to happen. But... Jesus did something different, kind of unexpected. Next slide. The Messiah showed up not at the end of ages or the end, the end times or whatever you want to call it, right? He didn't show up here. He showed up somewhere in the middle of the age of death. It's like, why, why would he do that? It's like, he just, that was his plan all along, okay? Now, what happens if the Messiah shows up before the end of age or the end the, the, end of the age. What happens? Well, the prophecy tells us that if Jesus shows up, whatever the Messiah shows up, that's when eternal life is supposed to begin, right? So what happened was, next slide, the, the, the eternal life, life into the age, actually started early. But then you're like, wait a minute, isn't that, wouldn't that be the end of age? Like, like wouldn't that be it right there? Like, like, if he showed up early, then that's probably when, you know, no. Because Jesus, when he was here, he kept on saying, at the end of the age, this is going to happen. He's talking about it as, as if it's some future event, right? So, so what does this mean? This means that Jesus says, hey, this isn't the only time I'm coming. The, I'm actually coming a second time. Next slide. There is still an event that's going to happen at the end of age. But next time I come, I'm going to come as a king. Now, when he was here the first time, he, some people knew that he was a king. As a matter of fact, the way that Luke and Matthew wrote the story of Jesus is to show that he's like an undercover boss. Like, you know, there are like little signs here and there. It's like, oh, he's acting like a king. Hey, those are king words that he just used. Like even the way that the cross was propped up, the Greek word for the cross going up is the same word for coronation. Like, oh, like, you know, like when they put a crown of thorns, like they don't know they're just crowning the king right now. Like, it's like all these like little subtle hints. It's so cool. Okay, but he's like, but when he comes back the second time, like the whole world's gonna know he's the king. That's, that's the second coming. So the people in the Old Testament are like, wait a minute, we thought the Messiah was gonna come at the end of the age, ushering in eternal life or life into the age. Um, but he came early and apparently he's coming again at the time that he was supposed to come, we thought, the first time. I know, is this getting confusing? 
Good, okay, thanks Steve. So what happens, so next slide, what happens in this blue area right here, right? By the way, we are living in this blue area right now because we're between the first coming and the second coming, right? And so the big question is this, well, next slide. This, this is what we're gonna be looking at today, this area right here, okay. What do we call this age? Now, scholars, they're like, yeah, what do we call this? Jesus didn't give it a name. <laughs> Paul didn't give it a name. Like, what are we gonna call this? And so they thought about it and it's like, well, let's see what words Jesus used to describe it. And you're gonna see in a few minutes why we came up with this weird name. But we call this, next slide, it's like not that creative. We call it the here but not yet. Or there are other ways people say this. These are scholars, they call it the here and not yet. Either way, same meaning, right? Okay, so why do we call it this? It's because when Jesus was here, he talked about it as if the kingdom of God or you know, eternal life is actually here, but we're still in the age of death. You see the white line down there? So we're kind of like both. Like the kingdom of God is here, but it's not really here. It's like near, but it's not, right? Like, so here, here's some examples of that. Here's in Mark chapter 1, 15. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Like, oh, so where is it? Like a few blocks down or a few years from now? Like, is it my next birthday? Repent and believe in the good news. Next one. Here's another one. And he said to them, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. Like some of you guys, probably 20 years old, uh, life expectancy, I don't know, 40 to 50 years old back then. It's like, hey, before you die, you're gonna see the kingdom of God. So you're saying the kingdom of God's gonna be here in 30 years-ish, 20 years? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? And not only that, it's gonna come here with power? Well, is it here or is it not here, right? I mean, 20 or 30 years from that point is a long time ago for us. Is it, has it already been here? Next slide. Um, be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. So is it near, is it here, is it a few years from now, is it down the street, where, where is it? Here's an interesting one, another one from Luke. Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So the kingdom of God is like not there, but it's like in us or around us or it's part of us, you know, like you could be Zen about like, oh, it is with you this whole time, you know, like, what is it, right? Like, this is why scholars call it the here and not yet, or here but not yet. Next one. Uh, when you see these things, and by these things, Jesus is talking about the big temples, right? When the temples, he's like, these temples are gonna all crumble. When you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Well, that happened, I think, around 70 AD. Um, so is the kingdom of God, was it there that, that year and it's gone now, like, right? So, uh, next slide. So the question is, this, this is why we call it the here but not yet. And the reason why Jesus used those terms is because, yeah, it's kind of here, right? Because let's just say we're at this point in the timeline. We just saw Jesus come, right, and he left. Like, okay, so we're still living in the age of death because I'm looking around and I see people dying still. People are sick, people are suffering. Uh, there's still injustice in this world. People are not being treated as they ought to be. But at the same time, I do see the kingdom of God popping up here and there. Like I see people getting healed. I see people who are broken in relationships coming together. Like I do see pockets of heaven on earth, but we're still here on earth, right? We're still in this age of death. De de yeah, so like, so here but not yet, here's my definition of it. It's an age in which the life unto the age and the age of death coexist. 
okay? So there's good and bad living together. Now, this is why, and in case this is like your first time at church or you've always had questions about the church, this is why at the church we pray and ask for God's healing. Because when we pray for one another, God heals. But at the same time, because we coexist with two different ages, if God doesn't heal, we're not surprised about it because we're still living in the age of death. Okay? This is why we celebrate on Sundays the kingdom of God here. But at the same time, we also lament that there's brokenness in this world. I know a lot of people are like, this seems contradictory, but the church, we are people who are able to understand the tension between the two. Okay? This is why when something bad happens, the church, we grieve together. But at the same time, we also have hope for a better future. We believe that when there's a pile of ashes, we believe that we lament. We're like, oh, no, look at the thing that burned down. But we also believe that something beautiful could come out of the ashes also because we're also part of the life unto the age. This is why Christians foolishly think that we could transform the world, but we also know realistically that having a perfect world in our midst is impossible because we live in that overlap, the coexistence of heaven on earth, heaven and also earth at the same time. This is also the reason why Christians are called saints in the Bible, but we also still sin. There's that tension, right? So, Paul, the first Christian, one of the first Christian leaders, he planted a lot of churches, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. As he's observing this, he's like, there has to be a word to describe these people, right? Like, like they're, they're not like people like Adam, you know, all the way from creation all the way until now. It's like, it's a new version of Adam. Like, there's something different about these people. How do we describe it? So Paul gave them a nickname, and this is what he called them. Next slide. Here we go. People who live out eternal life while living in the age of death are called the new humanity. Over and over in the book of Ephesians, he calls everybody you are the new humanity, right? You're not bound by the old stuff anymore, right? He writes in 1 Corinthians, you are the new humanity. 2 Corinthians, new, 2 Thessalonians, you're new humanity. He uses the word new humanity over and over and over again. But Jesus, he rarely uses that word because he had a better word for it. We're not seeing who did better, you know, but I'm just, I just think Jesus' word stuck more. The word that Jesus used to describe this new humanity is the church, the church. He said the church is gonna transform the world. The church is gonna live in that tension of heaven on earth. A community, the church, he basically says this, the church is the community, next slide, there we go. It's a community that has committed to living out the future hope of eternal life today. So we're in that overlap. Coexistence of life and death together. And for a long time in our lives, we've been living only in the white line, the, the, the age of death. And for those of us who believe that John 3.16 is talking about what happens after we die, we live in the age of death until we die. And then we get to experience this eternal life. But Jesus and Paul, the New Testament, is saying that no, 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 you could actually experience heaven on earth right now. You could tap into eternal life right now. You don't have to wait until you die. You could do it now. And the question is, well, how do you do that? How, is there an instruction manual? Did Jesus talk about like a three-step program that will help us to tap into the eternal life? Right? The question that we want to answer today is this. How do I tap into the life unto the age? How do I do that? Right? And in case I lost you, here's a quick 
image of it again. Okay, we live in this white line. And some of us don't experience eternal life until we die because we think that's what John 3.16 says. But he says, no, that age has come forth. It's broken into our world and we're, we could experience it if we just know how to. So how do we do it? So here's the thing. John 3.16, written by the apostle John, he knew a lot about this topic. Like almost all his writings talk about this, more so than any other author. So John, who recorded John 3.16 for us, towards the end of Jesus' life on earth, he recorded one of Jesus' prayers. And this is what he wrote. This is what he caught, wrote down when Jesus said, this is Jesus praying. So John's like listening to Jesus praying. He's like, I'm gonna memorize that and I'm gonna write it down later. Bestseller. Here we go. Father, this is Jesus praying. The hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may, be glorif may glorify you. This is right before Jesus is gonna go to the cross and die, on the, uh, die for our sins and then resurrect three days later. He's saying, Father, the time has come. People are gonna to torture me, embarrass me, but don't worry, it's gonna flip around, it's gonna be something that's gonna glorify you. So he's just praying like, hey, the time has come, here we go. Now, the next part of the prayer is really interesting because all of a sudden, Jesus starts talking about himself in the third person. I don't know who does that, but he does apparently. So here we go. For you, for you granted him, he's talking about himself, for you granted me, Jesus, authority over all people that me, Jesus, I, might give eternal life, you know, so tap into eternal life while we're still here on earth, to all those, uh, for all those you have given him. Okay, so Jesus, how do we do that? How do we tap into the eternal life that you, you know? And the next line, it's interesting. For this is eternal life. He's like, oh, wait, Jesus is about to define for us eternal life? Cool, like, we don't need a glossary. We have everything here. But the way that Jesus defines this is not what it actually is. It's how you tap into it. So watch what he says. He says this, that they, that's us, know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, talking about himself in the third person, whom you have sent. What is he saying? Here, diagram again, next slide. While you're living here, the way you tap into eternal life is by knowing God. The one that ushered it in, if you have a relationship with him, if you know him, then you are tapping into this whole thing and forever. That's what he's saying here. Now, like I said, John had a lot to say about this, right? So later on, like years and years later, he wrote a letter to one of the churches. And in that letter, he makes another mention of this. Like John is like the eternal life guru. He knows everything about it. Okay, here we go. This is 1 John chapter five towards the end of his letter. He says, God has given us eternal life. There it is again, life into the age. How did he give it to us? This is what he says. And this life is in his son. If you are in his son, if you have that tight relationship with Jesus, then you have eternal life. And you know, I'm sure there are people who are like new to the church that John sent this letter to, and he's like, I don't really know what that means. So John's like, okay, let me just clarify it with, by saying the same thing, but in a different way. He says this, whoever has the son has life. And by life, he's talking about eternal life. If you have Jesus, you have access to eternal life right here, right now. And they're like, so can you clarify that a little bit more? And John's like, okay, how about I skip the opposite of that so you understand what I'm talking about. And he says, whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And by life, we're not talking about life existence. We're talking about eternal life. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you have eternal life. 
So the question again, how do I tap into the life unto the age? Answer, you have to journey your life with Jesus. What does that look like? When you're grieving, you're not alone. Jesus is right there with you grieving. And if you understand that, you have tapped into eternal life. If somebody is is driving you nuts and you're like, I'm supposed to love this guy? <laughs> he told me to love everybody. Okay, I'm supposed to love this guy? Lord, give me the patience. Give me the, you know, right? You are journeying with Jesus. Every time you pray and you pray in Jesus' name saying, Lord, through you, I just need to know what is it that I'm supposed to do? Or every time you pray, you are journeying with Jesus. If you're celebrating and you're like, Jesus, thank you so much, you're celebrating with him, you're journeying with Jesus. Eternal life, and I think a lot of times when we think about eternal life, we think about like moving mountains, like big miracles, right? And sure, um, in my faith experience, I have not really experienced moving mountains. I mean, figurative mountains maybe, but you know, right? But sometimes tapping into um, eternal life or life into the age, it, it's something that's more subtle. And, that, and if you notice that, then you'll probably recognize you tapping into eternal life all the time. I'll give you an example. I didn't want to use this example, but my wife said you should. So I'm like, okay. Because my stories are never that exciting. But Val's like, this is just like lecture and there's no stories. So here's my story. And if you yawn, I'll wake you up afterwards. Okay. So during the pandemic, um, I was one of those restless people who are like, I need to get out. I need to get out. Whereas my family, all three of them are like, we love being home. So, you know, I'm like, I'm going to go for a walk with, you know, with a mask on. I'll walk around and I see my fellow restless people there too. I'm like, hey, you know. And eventually, when it was safe enough to go grocery shopping, you know, I would um, put on my mask, you know, sometimes double layers, and I would go to Costco. And when I went to Costco, I was just like, oh, they finally have toilet paper. Awesome, right? You put it in and you get all your stuff. And then, you know, you see everybody's carts, like it's filled like to the mountain, like looks like a big hill. And, um, and the people who are checking you out, not checking you, you know, like, um, what do you call those people? Cashiers, thank you. Cashiers, they're like wearing double layer masks and they have like a plexiglass in front of them, right? So that they're extremely safe. And every once in a while, there'll be people coming and they'll look at you and say, hey, you know, hi. Um, and they'll throw in a joke or two to kind of put you at ease. Like, oh, hey, you finally got the toilet paper, you know, that kind of thing. But every once in a while, there are rude people who come by and, you know, like, you know, what's taking you so long? Or, you know how long I waited? I deserve to be treated like a king, you know, that kind of thing. And so I, seeing all this ahead of me, I thought, you know, how does Jesus see this situation? And what Jesus sees is that this person has sacrificed that, their, their own health, potential, potentially that person could get sick, right? This person is seeing hundreds of people walk in front of, you know, and, and this person could get sick. And for all I know, this person's like the father of a family of four or five, I don't know, right? And they're relying on his income, that's why he has to work. And so I basically when they were like, this guy was like taking my stuff and scanning it in and you know, I looked at him and I thought, you know, this guy's working so hard and he deserves more than, you know, like no one says hi to him because they're afraid of speaking out because you know, like, you know, they might get sick, I don't know. So I decided that when it was my turn and it's no big deal, I just said, hey, you know what? I just wanna say thank you so much for doing this. I must be hard. And I think you're very brave and you know what? You're, today you're my hero. That's, that's what I said for all for what it's worth. And then he just kind of stopped and looked at me, can't see his mouth, can't see his mouth, 
but you can see with his eyes that he's starting to tear up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I just do to him, right? And he just looked at me and said, thank you so much. And that's it. That was my story. But apparently, a little bit of heaven came down and touched his life that day. I was journeying with Jesus, right? And I brought a little bit of heaven. I tapped into heaven on a little bit of eternal life, life into the age, into this age of death. That's what it is. And I think that's what it looks like day to day. Yes, we would love to see mountains move and stuff like that, right? Um, but from day to day, that's how we journey with Jesus. So that's eternal life. So let's look at John 3.16. Hopefully this makes more sense to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you have that relationship with Jesus, you have access to eternal life before it actually shows up. You're tapping into the future hope that's here right now. That's eternal life. That's what this verse is about. And that's what the church is about. You see, what, this is what church is. Church is a committed group of people who like committed to each other and to God saying, while we're here on a Sunday morning, we will live out, you know, we can't control everything, but what we can control, we will create heaven on earth in this space. If there's division out there, we will do everything it takes to create unity in here. If there are outcasts out there, when that outcast comes to this church, they are family because that's what heaven on earth should look like. If there are sicknesses, then we will commit to praying for that person. That's eternal life. And that's what Jesus envisioned the church to be. It's not a big show we put on Sunday morning, but it's a community of people who are committed to helping each other out. This is why the first century church the word koinonia, which is translated to fellowship, it literally means to take what you have, the excess that you have, and give it to somebody else who doesn't have it. If you have two TVs and you're not using one, give it to somebody who needs one. If you have two cars, one car is not being used, like, anybody need a car? Here, I would love to give it to you. That's what koinonia means. It means to share sacrificially. And all those things that the first century did makes more sense now once you understand what eternal life is because they were convinced that eternal life was right here in the midst of believers. And that's what I feel Westlight has been. Westlight has been that to my family and to myself when we were in need. And we want to be like that for everybody else here. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's pray.